0: Welcome to Fast Company Digest, essential stories from tech, design, impact, and work life narrated by NOAA App. I'm Fast Company deputy editor and the host of the New Way We Work podcast, Kathleen Davis. Here are this week's stories. First, Fast Company's advertising expert, Jeff Beer, breaks down Mattel's nearly decade-long efforts to make Barbie relevant again and how the company pulled off such an unprecedented marketing domination with this summer's biggest movie.
1: Narrated by Noah. Listen to more of the world's best journalism on the NOAA app or at NewsoverAudio.com.
0: This is Jane Wing reading from Fast Company, where on the 21st of July 2023, Jeff Beer writes, Barbie's global domination, exactly how Mattel pulled it off. It's an almost impossible task to objectively pick the single best piece of marketing for the Barbie movie. The Xbox console made to look like a mini Dreamhouse is certainly a contender, as is the IRL Dreamhouse Airbnb listing. Of course, then you have the Aldo shoes, the Gap collection, the Barbie dream car in Forza Horizon 5, the Progressive insurance tie-in ad, the Ruggable Collection, Pinkberry Frozen Yoghurt, The Hot Wheels Car, and even star Margot Robbie's Architectural Digest Tour of the Dreamhouse. Those are just a handful of the promos and more than 100 brand tie-ins for the co-production between Warner Brothers and Mattel Films, which premieres in theatres today. The pink-hued onslaught has turned us all into Barbie girls in a Barbie world. A year in the making, the reportedly $100 million marketing hype cycle has built up almost unprecedented awareness and interest in both the film and the brand. According to the Quorum, overall awareness of the film has reached 83% among women under 35 years old, the highest ever recorded by the firm, which projects the film's opening weekend to hit up to $150 million. This is what happens when a global heritage brand cultivates a unique pop culture moment. Independent of the film itself, the campaign is the product of many expertly crafted elements, all working together. Mattel has been building toward this Barbie party for almost a decade. And the playbook the company has used for this brand is one it will adapt for other franchises that it hopes to expand beyond toys and games. Mattel president and chief operating officer Richard Dixon doesn't see the Barbie movie as a finish line then, but rather pink, glittery starting blocks for what's to come. What you're really starting to see is Mattel as a pop culture company, says Dixon, who helped oversee the Barbie brand in the 2000s and returned to the company in 2014 in a C-suite role. Mattel currently has a whopping 45 film projects in development, including 13 that have been publicly announced, including He-Man, Rock'em Sock'em Robots and Hot Wheels. We represent pop culture. Our brands are a canvas for common conversations around pop culture. We can express our brand's identity across multiple categories and experiences that bring it to life in meaningful ways. But Mattel's journey from iconic toymaker to pop culture juggernaut was far from guaranteed. In 2014, Mattel had a real Barbie problem. The brand was in the pit of a three-year sales decline, but worse, its image was in disarray. According to the company's research, Barbie was outdated and didn't reflect the diversity or image of modern girls. Just as importantly, they didn't communicate the image that their parents wanted to see. That's when Mattel really dug into the data to find out what was missing. Barbie was the company's crown jewel brand, and they needed to find a way to fix it. People weren't seeing her in the same way that we did, as aspirational and inspirational, says Dixon. The feedback that we got was that she wasn't a reflection of cultural relevance. She didn't look like the world that we live in. We were missing the mark. We took those insights and really re-engineered everything. Barbie's resurgence can be traced back to that moment. It began with a new brand campaign, led by a spot called Imagine the possibilities. Created with agency BBDO San Francisco, it's a hidden camera-style ad featuring young girls taking on adult jobs, such as being a veterinarian, a college professor, professional soccer coach, museum tour guide, and corporate business traveller. The hook? The story flips and the confused and amused adults are replaced by Barbies, showing these girls just playing these imaginary roles. The ad went viral almost immediately, reframing the narrative around Barbie and unleashing a wave of nostalgic affection for the brand. The Washington Post declared it was the Barbie commercial you have to see. Dixon today calls it a reintroduction that we needed at that time, based on insights to reintroduce the value of Barbie play to parents. Soon after, Mattel launched Barbie dolls in different ethnicities with 24 different skin tones. Its Fashionista line, released in early 2016, included three different body shapes, original, curvy and petite, with more than 20 different available eye colours and hairstyles. Barbie sales rebounded, growing by almost 16% that year. We moved from what I call being a brand that had a monologue with consumers to a brand that needed to have a dialogue, says Dixon. As a kid, Jenna Isken played with Barbies. Now, as a group director of experience at branding agency Siegel & Gale, she has a new appreciation for how Mattel turned things around. Barbie used to stand for a little plastic doll that nobody looked like, and now it stands for a universe of different people, looks and occupations, says Iskin, who says she now buys Barbie stuff for her daughter. It's this really interesting study of how they took the nugget of who this brand is and found ways to forge new, better relationships with its audience. Since the Barbie movie is a co-production between Mattel and Warner Brothers, the toy company was deeply involved in all the film's marketing and led all its brand partnerships. Dixon calls the gradual partnership announcements, which grew to be a flurry of them leading up to the film, as candy in the road for fans. These partners that you're seeing across the board, they're not random. They've been a very calculated and precision-based marketing execution he says. It really is a constellation of ensuring that every age and every category has best-in-class partners where you can play Barbie. Brand strategy consultant Moshe Izakian says it's clear that these brand relationships were purposeful. A lot of these partnerships have been in the works for more than a year, some two years, and to think of integrating something like video gaming into this brand down food avenues, and other really interesting product areas, all coming out at a pretty fast pace, really got my attention, says Isaacian. Isken actually sees the brand partnership aspect of the film's marketing as the toughest needle to thread. Because you have to make sure that these brands come together in order to be authentic to the people you're trying to get excited in a way that makes sense for the brand, is protective of the brand, but also strengthening those relationships, says Isken. So I look at the gap, for example. Who is it? What it represents? Clothing for all. Promoting individuality. And that makes a lot of sense. Imagine the possibilities and all the product development around that same time were a result of a new Barbie playbook that Dixon says consists of four main elements. It starts with brand purpose, which Dixon defines as, why are we here? This exercise was a really important one for Barbie and for every one of our brands to really establish, he says. What made us great to begin with? And how do we start to personify our purpose through meaningful touch points and execution? Next is what the brand calls design-led innovation. For Mattel, it means knowing their consumer better than anyone and the creativity that comes from that, and then exceeding expectations through the product that they ultimately create. The third element is cultural relevance. This plays a vital role in connecting brands and products with popular culture, and it drives demand. It can be everything from fun digital content to having the products reflect an ever-wider variety of play possibility. Barbie's career sets, for example, have Barbie as a marine biologist, a chicken farmer, a teacher, a hockey player, and more. Oh, and Ken as a dog trainer. In April, the brand launched its first-ever Barbie with Down syndrome after working with the National Down Syndrome Society. Finally, there's executional excellence. This is really an obvious one, says Dixon, but you can have great ideas, but if you can't execute, then it really doesn't mean anything to anyone. As Mattel has seen the success of this strategy play out over the past seven years, leading to this one massive pop cultural moment for Barbie, the company is hoping that it can adapt these principles to all of its properties. We recognise as a portfolio that the playbook was pioneered by Barbie and it's now personified throughout our entire ecosystem, Dixon adds. I think it really represents the next chapter of growth for our portfolio. As much as Dixon and Mattel want to build out the Mattel portfolio across film and TV, there's a reason that Barbie is first in line. In addition to being the company's most important and enduring product line, Barbie was also the most logical adaptation to narrative storytelling, both due to its cultural presence and character-based products. Rock'em Sock'em Robots may be fun, but they're not Barbie. Iskin says that she can see the potential for something like Hot Wheels, but for any brand looking to adapt and expand on its intellectual property, it's about understanding the size of and potential for that audience and then being willing to invest in creating a fandom. Make sure you're taking the time to do so much listening. You're looking for opportunities and areas for people in that audience to contribute, says Iskin. Whatever you're creating, you're also finding the opportunities to pivot to show audiences that you're not just listening, but allowing it to have an impact on where you're going. Isaacian adds that the brand partnership aspect of the Barbie movie will have a broader impact. It's going to be hard to replicate on this scale, but the ideas of where you can plug into, I think, will inspire many other marketers to think more creatively about where they can go. He says. So far, the biggest lesson that Dixon and Mattel have learned from the Barbie movie experience is the importance of discomfort and taking calculated risks. To personify our brands in culture, particularly in content, we are working with the greatest creators and content in the world, says Dixon. Greta Gerwig is a genius. Margot Robbie is spectacular. We need to recognize that they do love the brand that they're authentic about the brand we need, and ultimately, let them play within that framework. In order for us to create breakthrough products, whether it's film, TV or merchandising, we've got to stretch our own limitations. If the Barbie movie earns anywhere near its projected opening box office numbers, expect Mattel to sparkle like glitter across the culture for years to come. You were listening to Fast Company, where Jeff Beer writes, Barbie's global domination, exactly how Mattel pulled it off. This article was published on the 21st of July, 2023, and was read by Jane Wing for NOAA. Next, senior writer Mark Sullivan takes us inside the AI arms race with insider information from Apple, Meta, and Google on their advancements in AI research and development. He also explains the worrisome shortage of computing power needed to run large AI models.
1: For Noah, this is Martin Buchanan, reading from Fast Company, where on the 19th of July, 2023, Mark Sullivan writes, Apple, Meta, and Google are hot on OpenAI's trail. We're in the eighth month of the generative AI arms race a flurry of activity that was kicked off by the release of OpenAI's ChatGPT in late 2022. While other big tech players like Meta and Google had for years been working on the large language models that power new AI chatbots, OpenAI was the first to understand that chatbots could achieve almost human-like communication skills when given huge amounts of training data scraped from the web and massive computing power. OpenAI showed those results, not by publishing research papers, but by letting people see for themselves with ChatGPT, and the effect was thunderous. OpenAI's models came to be regarded as the the state-of-the-art, and rightly so. But after eight months in the limelight, OpenAI doesn't look nearly as unassailable as it did in April. A growing number of developers who rely on OpenAI's models have in recent weeks observed a decrease in the speed and accuracy of the model's output. OpenAI has denied that performance is degrading. This is almost certainly related to a dearth of available computing power for running the company's models. OpenAI, whose models run on Microsoft's Azure servers, no longer enjoys the access to computing power that gave it its initial lead in the LLM race. A well-placed source tells me that Microsoft executives, including Satya Nadella, now meet weekly with OpenAI to manage the server resources allocated to running the OpenAI LLMs. OpenAI is likely asking Microsoft for more GPU power, while Microsoft is no doubt asking OpenAI to find ways to economize. Microsoft is so concerned about the compute shortage that it has begun signing deals with smaller cloud startups to access more servers suited to AI. Meanwhile, Meta, Google, and Apple have just as much money, as well as their own chip designs, for AI work. And that's not the only problem now rearing up against OpenAI. Meta just released a new open source, free and available, LLM, called LLAMA2, that may rival OpenAI's GPT-4 model. Apple is also now reportedly developing its own ChatGPT rival in hopes of catching up to OpenAI. More significantly, both Google and Meta have figured out how to let LLMs react to and output images and words. OpenAI said its latest model, GPT-4, would be multimodal, but so far its currency is words and computer code. To top things off, the FTC has become very curious about OpenAI's model development practices and business model. The agency, headed by Lena Kahn, sent OpenAI a letter in mid July containing 20 pages worth of questions. As we predicted back in March, Apple has been pulled into the AI arms race, along with all the other FANG companies. Bloomberg's Mark Gurman reported on the 19th of July that Apple has been quietly developing its own generative AI models and may try to compete with OpenAI and Google in the chatbot wars. German's unnamed sources say Apple management is still deciding how the company might publicly release the technology, which has a tendency to invent facts and at times invade privacy. Apple has reportedly developed a new framework, referred to internally as IAX, to develop LLMs. Gurman reports that the LLM chatbot project, referred to by some in the company as Apple GPT, has become a major effort within Apple, already involving collaboration between several teams. Apple's stock bounced up by 2.3%. That's a quick gain of $60 billion in market cap after the Bloomberg story appeared, serving as a reminder to all that big tech companies are beholden to the beliefs and whims of investors, and the investment community is all in on generative AI. Some have likened the development of large language models to the development of human babies. Babies learn a lot about the world on their own, through their senses and through their parents. The major difference, of course, is that while babies have all five senses to absorb information, LLMs have only words taken from the Internet through which to learn about the world, as well as some human feedback on their output. That's why Google's announcement in the second week of July that it has given its BARD LLM image support is important. BARD is certainly not the most performant LLM out there. In fact, it's poor in a number of ways relative to peers. But it's become the first publicly available LLM chatbot with the gift of sight, if you will. Users can now input an image as a prompt, and Bard can analyze the image and provide more information about it. Imagine taking a photo of your lunch and asking Bard for an ingredient and calorific breakdown. Or turning your handwritten meeting notes into organized text. Yes, it makes mistakes, glaring ones, but further training refinements may correct those. Today, it's still images, but tomorrow, Bard might be able to process real-time, full-motion video. It may be able to continually learn from an array of photosensors placed within a nature preserve, for example. Or it might learn by digesting the entire corpus of YouTube videos that Google owns. If you were an extraterrestrial dropped to the Earth, you'd find few ways of learning your new environment faster. Meta has also been putting its research muscle behind multimodal AI. Earlier in July, the company announced a new text-to-image model called CM3Leon that generates images from text prompts at high quality, as well as writes captions for existing images. So what of OpenAI? The company may have hesitated to allow its GPT-4 model to process images, the New York Times reports, because it's afraid the model might recognize the faces of real people and say things about them. You are listening to Fast Company, where Mark Sullivan writes, Apple, Meta and Google are hot on OpenAI's trail. This article was published on the 19th of July, 2023, and was read by Martin Buchanan for Noah.